0: This is The Stark Truth, hosted by Robert Stark. Brought to you by StarkTruthRadio.com Robert Stark is an American journalist and political commentator. You can listen to his podcast at www.StarkTruthRadio.com
1: Uh, default uh, friend also goes by katherine d uh she's a writer and host of the podcast after the orgy and as a substack default wisdom uh she's a cultural commentator internet historian cultural anthropologist uh default friend great having you on the show and then also uh coast by this is co-host by matt pegas hey matt how's
0: it going
2: hey thanks for having me on
1: so, uh, if you want to kind of explain like about your podcast, what is the meaning of the title after the orgy, and then also your, your background as an internet historian and then basically you would, you describe yourself as a digital native. You grew up online, like many of us, but if you want to just kind of give some background information. Yeah,
2: sure. So after the orgy is actually no more, um, we, I don't know, I actually don't know why it ended. <laughs> it just kind of did, but, um, our last episode is after the orgy uh was with geo Penichetti, who some people might know from twitter right that's actually Penicchio. i
1: think that's how uh maybe i discovered discovered you because uh we had him on the show and he put out a review of my work on youtube and that's basically uh i think that's how i discovered you
2: oh cool yeah he, he's a very smart guy um so I was doing a filler episode. I was waiting for my co-host to return. And um, so that originally, originally after the orgy was going to be like revisiting um, big events during the Obama administration to sort of see like why culture seemed to do such a shift in the, in the 2010s. Um, but my co-host uh, has a very, so I work in tech I have an I have a normie sort of like middle class you know email job but you know I'm not you know I'm not rolling in in cash or anything just sort of like you know a very like regular person job but my co-host had a has a very high profile job so she can't really afford she really couldn't afford to uh you know be engaging in cancel bait at all um so she was she was she was concerned about that so she was like look if we anchor it in a text instead of an event maybe we could get away with saying a little bit more because we're critiquing a film or a book or a short story so we shifted to that um and then yeah I have no idea what happened but it you know it sort of fell off and but before I realized that it was just kind of over um and that she was not returning um we I was like look I'll put out some filler episodes and one of the filler episodes was uh, with with geo and um, we hadn't had a text picked or anything we just we just started talking about incels and from there we we talked about uh, you know internet culture more more generally and um, I thought it was it was it was a great it was a, it was a it was a great show. Um, and I was like you know my, my I, I love I love I love literature as as well, but I'm not as as not as well read as my my co-host is. So, or my, you know, my former co-host is, I was like, uh, you know, while I'm waiting for her to come back, I'll just put out some episodes about stuff I do know a lot about. So then like, you know, I interviewed um, the most famous blogger in the world. uh, And then i spoke to- uh, Is that Curtis Yarvin? Yeah. Uh, And then I spoke to, um, um, and I didn't say his name to sort of, to both like use his knowledge, right? And, uh, you know, have this conversation more rooted in tech. Uh, without sort of drawing attention to, uh, to him as a controversial figure out of respect for my, my co-host who coincidentally is actually friends with him. Um, and then I, and then I spoke to Peter Ludlow, who um, very famously created a newspaper for The Sims Online, which turned into a newspaper for Second Life. Um, and then suddenly it was just a different podcast, right? She just never came back. So, and I was like banking up all of these episodes, um, about internet culture. Now I'm like 30 in and I just renamed it the computer room also partially because, um, you know, just to, to differentiate between the, the two, between the two shows, because,
1: um, So the computer in that is your new podcast. And I think that's actually Substack, which, uh, a Substack podcast basically.
2: Yeah. Um, And, you know, for a while, it was just interviews because I was sort of, it was was sort of meant to be like, for fans of After the Orgy, like, while we're on hiatus, you can listen to to this. And then I realized that After the Orgy was just not, was not happening. So I'm now changing the format to go back to something more similar to ATO, where it's anchored in a text, but this time the text is going to be tech-centric. And then I'm going to have like six different people who I have like good conversational chemistry with, um, and we're you know Geo is actually one of them, and then we're going to discuss a text each each week, um, and it's going to be more structured and more research oriented than uh, these these sort of meandering conversations I've been having. Uh, were
1: yeah, it's so your interest is not so much it's not political, it's more more cultural anthropology. So if you want to kind of go over like what online subcultures have you followed a lot of them are adjacent to politics, but, uh, there are like, yeah, all these like online personalities and the sociological angle, psychological, like internet makes all these like high school, these like high school archetypes, like they become, they permeate like well into adulthood and people are obviously a product of cultural conditioning, but they have like their own, their own languages, subcultures, uh, people meet all these different like random strangers online and the interesting of course online tribes. Yeah, a lot of them do produce uh, a lot of really interesting content. But which groups have you have you been sort of associated with any of these online uh, online tribes or you're just more kind of like studying them as an as a anthropologist and uh, do some subcultures like hostile to you? Because I think on a previous podcast, you said like the dissident, like the dissident, right? I don't know if you mean like Neo Reaction or more like Frog Twitter. Like you said, they really just, they, they dislike you. They tell you to stay in your lane. So what are your overall thoughts on these different online subcultures that you, that you follow? I'm not sure if you have any connections to the IDW crowd as well.
2: Uh, so For a while I was sort of like defensively aligning with the IDW because it felt like, all right, this seems safe. Um, I'm not IDW. I don't really think we have anything in common at all, actually. Um, So I was like, fuck it. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking trying to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm basically one of them. I find myself actually identifying with things politically that I'm not sort of as a protection. So people don't think I'm trying to get on their turf. Like I'll say I'm a shit lib or a centrist or, IDW or you know just sort of just be like hey I'm aware I I suck just let's move it along but that's not really true and I don't think really reflective of what I believe and I think when I say that like the most accurate thing about my my politics is that I'm not a political person I don't there's no one political program that I think is correct I don't know enough I don't
1: do people accuse you of the other one is like being a 90s like liberal kind of like Bill Maher or Barry Weiss and then yeah people will say like that's like, that's the ideology that got us to where we are now. But yeah, I guess does I'm that thinking, kind of apply to you?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I the thing is, like, I just don't know an, enough. And I mean, the, I, I think what bothers people maybe is that um, I'm willing to, if something feels kind of right or resonates, and it, I don't care, like, where it's coming from, I'm happy to say, like, that it seems right. Um, I write for conservative publications, um, but it's I think it's because there's some like social overlap there it's not necessarily political um and i think that that's confusing to people like i don't i i don't know anything about uh like econ for example so i'm not gonna comment on it but uh if you know i a right winger and i both have a similar perspective on say sex then like and i'm writing about sex then uh Sure. Like if they, if they'll, if they'll have me and they'll, you know, and, and if their editing is supportive and we have a interesting dialogue with one another, uh, why not? So I'm, I'm you yeah. know, I'm, I'm happy. I, I love writing for the American mind, for example, because I find that, um, you know, the people at Claremont are, are very intelligent. They're, they're very open-minded in a way like.
0: Yeah. And on that note, I was going to say, I think the first place that I came across you was on Justin Murphy's forum if that maybe sheds any light for, for listeners. Cause I think, I think his whole, you know, the Justin Murphy indie thinkers forum and, and people kind of in that general milieu, milieu it's sort of like the, I, I don't want to coin this term here, but almost like the alt IDW where it's like kind <laughs> of similar type centrism or a similar type omnivorousness with regard to different kinds of ideas as the IDW, well, yeah, the problem. The I think so, yeah, that, that's the yeah.
1: problem. Is there's either stuff that's just really kooky or idiotic, or there's stuff that's intelligent but way outside the Overton window, and then the IDW come along and present themselves as these like as a respectable alternative, but they're they're definitely uh, gatekeepers. Uh, they're I mean they're mixed. They're a mixed bag. Like maybe a lot. I think a lot of them. Like they see themselves as like the rightful technocratic elite and maybe they, in that position, maybe they would do a better job. But I think mainly dissidents dislike them because they're, they are basically, uh, because of the gate, the gatekeeping, I think that's the other thing. And then also some of the rigidness of their classical liberalism, that's the other thing. But uh, I think both, I mean, kind of both sides, the dissident side and the, and the IDW, they both have their pros and their cons.
2: I mean, look, here's the, here's my take on the IDW. They, first of all, they're very myopic, which is r- incredibly annoying. Like, you know, you want to see Eric Weinstein have a meltdown Mention class at all. Just, I mean, he like, he, he doesn't compute. Like it and it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's not even like he hears the word class. It There's like a little translator in his head and he, he, it, it's translated into Marxist, you know, regardless of, the the context it's has yeah i think a
1: lot of them like also claire layman's from a very wealthy australian family i think she's like an heiress so yeah they do tend to have that class bias
2: yeah but i mean they won't consider it at all which yeah. is really 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 straight like they think it's not real or something um so that's a that's a one thing about them that bothers me the second thing about them that bothers me is honestly and you know i, I don't want to make any enemies here but um many of them certainly not all of them are grifters in the sense that they are used to being the most different person in a room and they're used to being the most right-wing person in a generally progressive room and and by progressive i mean like even you know like uh progressives who don't have very like deep or nuanced political thinking and uh they expect to receive that same treatment in authentically right-wing uh, spaces when they're just uh, they're contrarians and they're making a buck off their contrarianism and they cannot exist without something to identify against so it becomes very muddled whereas a dissident right doesn't need the doesn't need the left to like it doesn't need to identify against the left to exist it has its own, you know there's a diversity of of, of visions but it, it's it's not anchored in being contrarian but the idw is anchored in being oh, the left left me sort of attitude. And it's really it's very annoying, actually. It's, it's like the atheists who can't simply be atheists. They have to be right, atheists right. in the face of Christianity.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that, that the, basically the New York Times invented the concept IDW. It's I mean, This is probably too strong a way of putting it, but it's almost like a controlled opposition thing where it's yeah. like all that energy is funneled towards something fairly innocuous, to the establishment it very much is just like well what about this these ideas from the 90s or, or that were still in vogue in the 90s kind of thing
1: yeah also it does seem that you talk about this a lot like relationships and sex is now inherently political but like yeah one thing is like the incels as like a buzzword and your initial interest in incels so what was the context of your interview with nama kates because uh i've had her on the show twice and your interest in that topic
2: um so i mean we were just friendly online um and you know we it's just i don't know we (laughs) we just like talking to each other so we figured like why not record it we did one for for my podcast and we did one for hers um how i got interested in incels well i was like a proto-fem cell for most of my teen years um, and a big chunk of college, and then, you know, finally it, it finds a name. So when incels got on my radar, I think like must have been twenty twelve, maybe. Um, I really resonated with their sort of dark view of the world because I. Had
1: I don't even since- think the word was even used back then because.
2: It came into like, it, it, was an, it, it, it. was. It was
1: invented. I think it was invented by this woman a lot in the 90s. And then uh, the Elliot Roger massacre happened in 2014. I think it became widespread around maybe 20, a, a year or two later, like 2016.
2: So the 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 nascent concept, though, was already um, like incels as we recognize incels today um, were. Like it, it was, it was, there was a huge presence on like Reddit, for example. Um, so that's when I, like when it, when it was still like pre Elliot Roger, like Reddit era, um, you know, that's we were seeing this backlash against pickup
1: artists. Um, is this is linked to the site. Uh, Roger was affiliated with, I think it was called like POA
0: hate. Uh,
2: yeah. So this is, so this is like the proto sort of incel community. Right. Um so that's a, that's around that era is when like this ideology is like coming on my radar and
1: um, and then also does this include the manosphere or you or you view that as
0: separate
2: I view that as a, as a so I view this as a reaction to the manosphere the manosphere w- informed my sort of like fem cell thinking and I like kind of like uh, interpreted it in a, in a way to be sort of like um, I, it wasn't like man-hating, but it was sort of just like this is the proof that that life is so hard for for, for ugly women. I don't know. It was like this, a
1: very... There's sites. Was this prior to like uh, female dating strategy?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was never on female dating strategy. I mean, it, but it was it was it was like a very very like uh, dysfunctional toxic. I it, I should I should clarify. I don't feel this way anymore. But as a like a younger person. Um, I, I like certainly did. Um, and I was, I was crazy as hell. Like I was so insane that I think at some point I like was like the purest kind of love that can exist is between two men and no other love, like not necessarily sexual or romantic, but only the love between two men is, is, is pure and like godly because everything else is so broken. I mean, I was just total schizo, like just off the deep end.
0: were you interested in like uh like dorkin and whatnot like uh anti-sex stuff then just out of curiosity oh
2: no i wasn't um it was i i don't know i don't know what i was what i was smoking but it was just like it was getting like well i mean i wasn't smoking anything but i was i was i was getting progressively like more uh esoteric uh but it wasn't
1: do you think in general do you think it really takes like a, a huge psychological
0: toll on someone
2: yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like, look, I I had friends who were just like, "What's wrong with you?" Um, and I like, you know, I was a different person. Like, once I snapped out of it, and I snapped out of it, I think like, like around um, around like summer of twenty twelve, I started like get it. Like, I got really, really bad, and then I got a lot better. <laughs> um, were you
0: uh, Were you mostly on Tumblr at that point, or? I don't um, know if you said that. Sorry. Or, or what no, I was yeah. I was
2: on Reddit a lot at that okay. point. Um, and I, I had like already ta- I, I think I was I was probably still on Tumblr a little bit, but I had like tapered off the the heavy Tumblr
0: use. I see. It just it's interesting because it sounds like almost and I don't mean to put words in your mouth if you wouldn't put it this way, but it's almost like you were radicalized online, but not toward any recognizable path. Like it's not like you were like a radical leftist or rightist or anything. It's like almost you found your own path of like a personal radicalization is that does that resonate i
2: i think so i was like maybe like radically like black pilled or something yeah um it was like the the female uh you know like lay down and rot sort of mm-hmm. uh, uh you know it was that was it was kind of that and it, but it, you know I wasn't the only one like there's definitely like a contingent like a nameless contingent that today we will we you know we call the fem cell but it's like this sort of like amorphous uh, kind of, like, difficult to parse uh, kind of worldview. And then eventually, like, this sort of... I, I have this impulse in me to, like, want to be extreme sometimes. So this got, like, this energy... Like, once I chilled out on the gender stuff, um, and, you know, the, like, life's so hard as an ugly woman uh, talking point, I rechanneled that same sort of passion into uh, like fear of uh climate collapse so that was its own sort of but i also went about that and like you know i wasn't i wasn't like anti yeah i think well, i
1: think it's it's true that <laughs> so far so far as a lot of politics is like what how much of politics is just people's personal psycho- psychology i think it's exacerbated online but people's psychology is psychological motives and issues are channeled into politics i think so too yeah like, So like the incels, they talk a lot about, uh, about like, hypergamy, the Pareto principle, and, like, a certain, like, they talk about a certain, like, kind of subset of women. And I'm sure you have, like, a more kind of, like, nuanced take of uh, take of that issue, but uh, they generally, they're, I think you've said the same thing. Like, there there's a sort of a general perception that this issue really shifted, like, right around uh, the early 2010s when uh smartphones and dating dating apps uh just uh transformed everything
2: yeah i mean there's there was definitely a shift because excuse me like what i believe was like a more extreme version of what a lot of people experienced and then you start seeing sort of like um because it was sort of a reaction to this sort of like you know the hot girl sort of talking point where everyone's sort of complaining about getting cat called was sort of like a reaction to that um, and it was sort of you know like people are like well not every woman gets cat called not every woman is relentlessly sexually harassed um, there's a, certainly a, a population of women who are invisible and then the the like harmony sort of <laughs> was disturbed by that or was disturbed by dating apps um, this wasn't true for okay oh because yeah
1: I do remember that I remember in the zero zeros like you had, it was there was maybe less of a gender war but you kind of had like in like reality tv culture like this the popular crowd that the incels would call chads and stacy's and then you had both like lower status men and lower status women presenting that crowd in the zero zeros and then by about 2012 everything became divided on the gender war
2: yeah i think that i think that's right um you know there was this there was this like underclass and like uh tinder it took it probably took a little while but tinder sort of allowed uh the like allow i you know i don't think it the dynamics really changed i think maybe like people became delusional and like the same people who had power sort of were like spread thinner um you know i think there's definitely like a lot of women who probably are still treated the same way but they're kind of like under the delusion that like they're they have more options Uh, yeah
1: because that's what the the whole thing about the fem cell issue is the incel talking points is that fem cells don't exist but maybe they're women who can get laid on on a dating app but they're treated they're treated badly or they can't get a relationship that's a that's like a kind of cliche talking point that's usually that's what I hear a lot.
2: yeah and I, I I mean I you know I would I would uh I would invite the incel to to spend a day in like a genuinely ugly woman's shoes. Like, you know, she may, she'll, she'll get a sparse number of matches and then like the match quality is probably very low and she's treated as like, uh, you know, basically as like a, a receptacle for like, you know, I, I'll, I'll actually, I'll spare the, the grotesque term- terminology. Right. Here, right. You know, it's 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 even like a step below getting pumped and dumped. Like, there's not even and probably not
1: not even from guys who would be referred to as chads. Maybe from like even maybe just like guys who would be like referred to as like low tier normies.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I, you know, there's all sorts of like uh, shades and nuances to this, and it's like it, it, you know, there's a lot of women for whom, like, if they had a little bit more self respect, they would be, uh, they would be celibate.
1: The kind of questions like how much. Uh, this is exaggerated because when you go out in public, like you do see couples who are looks matched, like maybe they met IRL, not online, but you do see that too. Like there is, there is nuance.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you don't really see like average or ugly looking women with really great looking guys. Right. You see, I, I think like still, uh, you know, couples are, are generally, um, are generally look smashed, look
0: smashed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was gonna ask. This might be a, a silly question. Maybe it's a question that always looms over uh, the whole, I guess, incel and femcel thing. But this perception of being genuinely ugly. I mean, I, I don't think anyone. I don't think that's your reputation online, shall we say? I, um. So, do you think? Uh, do you think that was in your head to any degree, or like, or how much of it? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a, maybe it's kind of a generic question for for any of these conversations I, like do you think there's an extent to which it just gets in your head when you're online all the time and you convince yourself or do you think yeah
2: so yeah. i mean like look i think a lot of people have body dysmorphia probably myself yes. included um you know it always makes people uncomfortable when i say this but uh and you know i i I've, i kind of like made a note to myself to stop saying this on on podcasts but i think it's i think it's helpful maybe for other women um I, I look good. At, I look great in some photos. Like uh, if I'm at a wedding and it's you know the soft lighting, and I could throw uh, you know a black and white filter or something on it. But in my day to day life, um, I'm a I'm an average or even below average looking person, and I, and I know this. And in um, in a city like Chicago where I live now, it's I never think about it. It's no big deal. Um, it does not impact the way I'm treated at all. Um, in a place like like Texas, generally, you know, as long it it, it doesn't impact me. When I was living in New York City, um, especially in my social milieu, um, there was never a moment that I wasn't reminded of it. I I was treated um, like I was invisible. Um, I, people would call would comment negatively on my appearance, to my face. My experience of the world was drastically different than my uh, good looking female friends. I have never um in living life on you know press any key to start mode so to speak um and i uh you know I, in a in a normal in a normal environment that's not like uh miami or where i grew up or new york city um i'm able what to say about like,
1: oh. uh you said uh S, sf clusters more with chicago and boston and then you've lived in la and that's also similar to new york you'd say more like mm-hmm. sf uh
2: LA is probably more similar to, um, uh, to New York, but so I'm saying like in, in these sort of like more normal cities, right. It has, it has no impact at all. I would, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I would be very foolish to, or attention seeking to, to be identifying this way, but in, in like these certain bubbles, right. You, you, you can be forgiven for, for, uh, thinking that you are genuinely ugly. Uh, do I, you know, I would imagine my experience in a environment in a wealthy environment or an environment like New York or Miami or LA is the same as a genuinely ugly woman in a Chicago, Boston, Austin, San Francisco. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah, no, um, I didn't mean to be weird about it. I just think no, uh, no, it's no, I, like I an elephant see. in the room thing. Because I mean, I think online you're seen as pretty attractive, but I don't know. It's not like I'm talking to people about you online or anything, but that's, uh, that was my no, perspective.
2: No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I appreciate it. Um, it. it, But that, I mean, that's the thing with the, with the incel too. Like the, um, the man who's an incel in San, San Francisco is not an incel in New York.
0: Right. Oh no, that's that's huge. Um, the 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 geography of it all. You think it's because of the the gender
1: imbalances, like the tech industry?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, I think I I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, San Francisco. I could take a, an entire episode. Um, I think it's more than just the raw numbers. Um, I think people neglect. Also, there's like a heavy class element of this. So, like I like I said, and like oh working, oh yeah, I guess yeah.
1: That's tr- that's true because. because- I think this does get actually downplayed. I think, I think they talk about it a bit in the the incel sphere, but I actually, there was a study from a more, a more kind of left-wing person who found search search results for, for an interest in incel, incel subculture. It correlates with places that have high levels of income inequality.
2: Yeah. um, It, 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 because uh, wealthier people have different standards for appearance and uh, it could it could be very illegible to someone from a working class or like middle class background. Um, and you could, you know, it, it cuts in both directions. You could be surprised or you could be, uh, you know, uh, you know, pleasantly surprised or unpleasantly surprised. Right. Um, so like, you know, like I said, like the, the reason why I don't feel bad in like a place like Chicago is because it's not, there's not there isn't like a, a cluster of, of, of wealth or like uh, this sort of like trendiness that uh impacts the the wider culture of the city. Mm-hmm. And this is tr- again this is this is true of all women. You want to you want to you have your mind blown like if you get on, on TikTok and you compare 30-year-old women like the videos that 30-year-old women make about their dating lives in Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, and New York and see how that like nets out that it, it's a it's a very like uh there's very interesting differences um and the, the impact there is, is is I don't know, I I, I think it's something that's underappreciated.
1: I noticed like with the, both the incels and the red pill types, they have this kind of like schadenfreude revenge fantasy about about when these women are like hitting the wall. But I guess there is there's also talk like there's going to be like a shift in the 2020s, just as the generation who grew up of women who grew up on who basically live through Tinder are not really like a being able to adjust to, to now they're at the age where they're supposed to settle down. And, uh, the economy seem is probably going to be a lot worse than the 2010s. So I think it is sort of a revenge fantasy, but I also, I also actually think, I think just analyzing trends, I do think things could shift Warren in, back into men's favor in the 2020s.
2: Uh, that that's interesting. I, I mean, th- there's like this assumption though, that like underpins it, that, um, you know, uh, it's only millennial women who are dating, right? <laughs> like I, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I don't think I have a great handle on what it's like to, to date as a 20 a year old. Um, I hear all sorts of different things from my, from my friends and I have, uh, I have younger siblings and that, that age, age bracket. And I mean, their experiences are also very like, um, you know, very different. <laughs>
1: You think, do you think these issues are actually worse if they're worse with uh, Zoomers?
2: I, I, I just can't, I can't get a handle on it because I feel like I, on TikTok, I see, um, uh, so like TikTok being sort of like, you know, where I'm looking at it from remove uh, or on Twitter, it seems like people are like, you know, burnt out in this way. Um, but then I know a lot of women in real life who have this very sort of like early 2010s millennial attitude. Um, There's a lot of variation. And then my siblings um, have this very sort of like, it's like they're in a nineties time capsule and I sort of don't recognize how they managed this, where it's like kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with my college sweetheart and we're married or um, but you yeah, know, with I'm, Zoomers, I think processing. there's just
1: more of a kind of coming apart. Because with Millennials, there's was a sense of uh, I think Gen like Millennials, there was still a sense of being a normie that you meet like certain these certain kind of life goals by a certain age, and uh, like you you date in high school and college, you have maybe five partners right your twenties. You're expected to get married by your when you're thirty, and then with Zoomers, I just see like a total divide between like my impression is like incels people who are in more monogamous like long-term relationships looking to get married younger incels and then or people who would be called as like total degenerates like there there's more of a divide between these different these different factions coming apart there's no there's no like shared kind there's, of expectations yeah
0: and there's less of like your perception robert and this would also i guess be mine enough that i know that much about gen z dating but basically that there's less of like that middle ground of people who are just dating and perhaps hooking up casually that it's kind of more either you're in a long-term thing, you're kind of celibate or, or you're, you're like, like there's less of like a middle territory. Is that what you're saying, Robert? Yeah,
1: that does seem to be my observation going back to these like trends. So the zero zeros, like that decade seemed like the most kind of like hedonistic Decade And then in the early 2010s, like hookup culture and dating apps were definitely still like they were celebrated by 2010s. And then there has been kind of there has been like a backlash from both the more conservative side and more liberal side as well. But I do, I've noticed like extreme woke culture, including me too, ha- actually kind of put a break on that hyper sexualizing yeah. unionistic culture that emerged from the zero zeros to the early portion of the twenty tens.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I've I've written quite a lot about like the the this backlash, right? Like it's it's there's clearly something there, and I think it's both from like millennial women who are burnt out, and also Zoomers who maybe are repulsed by what millennial women like memed into being the norm.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I think it was this the New York Times, Michelle Goldberg, that, that's actually kind of funny because I know Michelle Goldberg is kind of a villain of the dissident right types of things. Yeah, she's the one, oh, because <laughs> she wrote the, the famous, the infamous article, yes, we can replace them, like using the mantra of Charlottesville, but anyhow, she wrote <laughs> she wrote an article, she actually wrote a review of your writings about the your your Substack on the coming wave of sex negativity, and Michelle Goldberg actually wrote about your article on the sort of backlash against uh, hookup culture.
2: Yeah, that was a, that was a very pleasant surprise.: <laughs>
0: um, Yeah, you, you basically charted it as the move from sex positivity to post-sex positivity, right?
2: Yeah,. yeah. Um, and I think like I, I think there's definitely like a contingent of people who I mean, I think there's also like this media push to uh resist that and like to try to um you know like, like last summer
0: just, it was like oh we're post-covid it's going to be the summer of sex in new york city or whatever oh right yeah, yeah. <laughs> or
2: like this, this i think like the short king spring is an expression of this i've noticed like the the uh, you know the, the media loves to do this thing where they like try to like meme influencers into existence. oh the
1: one the really ridiculous one where kind of uh, like uh i forget which news site it it must have been like senior citizens who wrote this but uh they said the 2020s were going to be the roaring the new roaring 20s
2: yeah um wishful thinking as like the whole world is
1: falling apart
2: yeah that that clearly didn't happen
1: (laughs) not yet (laughs) right right. so but Yeah. yeah so you've noticed that like i think woke culture actually did kind of put a break on the sort of hedonistic culture because it's kind of the opposite because in the zero zeros like there was a strong emphasis on being like being athletic and physically attractive with reality tv culture and then now like it's kind of the opposite like you see advertisements like people people who would be considered very ugly in the past are like celebrated as beauty standards like the extreme version of like body positivity so woke culture kind of he placed hedon extreme hedonism with this like a more neo puritanical hyper moralistic culture, and then like I think pr- there was like a prediction a uh, number of like I know like the Twitter handle Indian Bronson was predicting this, and the Mano- manosphere like the Christian manosphere blogger from like eight years ago, uh kind of also like K Heimowitz kind of encapsulates this, but. uh you're seeing a kind of like a more conservative version of feminism that's starting to emerge. And uh, actually, I predict that will really take off this decade.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like, look, look at the success of, um, you know, you have like two expressions of this. You have sort of like the Radfem Hitler types. And, uh, you know, I bring her up only because she's sort of the most immediate example that comes to mind where it's like, she's coming from, She's not, she's not woke at all. She's coming from sort of a, a like uh, center right perspective. Um, and then you have um, people like Mary Harrington who are reactionary feminists and, uh, you know, with her, it's like Louise Perry and Helen Roy um, to some extent, I think Alex Kashuta fits that description though a little bit less. So <laughs> excuse me, where they're like, they have this very like conservative perspective, but there is like a, a um i don't want to say uh feminist maybe actually but like womanist maybe uh, a point of view nina power is another one
0: a concern with like female well-being basically yes yeah i
2: i think that they are though um they do have like a a concern with with again like women's well-being and um you know what is the correct place for a woman and and you know how do we we return to like a more like harmonious yeah uh, yeah
0: no, that makes sense it's interesting because uh, and i don't know if these are exact uh, exactly analogous so i don't want to like put anyone in, in any boxes that they don't want to be in but it's kind of interesting that the sex there was like this big push uh you know the the, the feminist push of the 2010s which was sex positive which was radical in certain ways but not radical feminism as was understood in the 80s and 90s it was something different there was a big sort of culturally mainstream push of that that i think is finally fizzled out but if, if we're coming back into a moment where there's some of these other you would say options. that the me too movement
1: uh basically was the was the final end of uh sex positive
0: feminism
2: yeah i think that sounds that sounds right to me
0: yeah But what I was going to say was it's almost not it's not a return because I think it's quite different and the context is completely different. But if you go back to like the late 80s, early 90s, you know, there's like manifestos of like the anti like anti-abortion feminists. And like there was a kind of a more multiplicity of different kinds of views. And they were all feminists, broadly speaking, but some of them may have integrated. They had more in some of them had more in common with certain types of social conservatism. Is all I'm trying to say. I think it's different now, but maybe similar in some ways. I don't know. It's not something I know a lot about. It's just intriguing.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's interesting because a lot of radical feminists are they're like not woke, but they're still, uh, you know, you could see like, you know, they they support like COVID uh, mandates, for example. Right. And like these li- like these other sort of tangential issues. Well,
1: yeah, that kind of fits in. I think with it's uh, do you see a kind of it's a kind of neo puritanism even.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair uh, description of it.
1: What do you think about, like, I guess these terms like girl boss feminism or neoliberal feminism, uh, do you see them as becoming a pejorative? Uh, you wrote this, but are you talking about in general or just on online sub-spheres like these? In general? Yeah, even among le- like distant left types, like those girl boss feminism and neoliberal feminism are pejoratives now.
2: I mean... Girlboss is a pejorative to normies, too.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Another cultural trend is, like, millennials reaching middle age, having midlife crises, existential crises, and uh, these generational cutoffs, like, social media was obviously a major generational cutoff, but talking about, like, uh, the new other one is, like, geriatric millennials is the new media buzzword, but, <laughs> yeah, I do pr- I predict that, that millennials have adapting to middle age and their middle age crises that will that will be a huge cultural theme this decade
2: I think so too and I'm very curious about how it's going to play out and I'm also like very curious about the people who seem to have been able to uh escape it like mm-hmm. even myself to some degree I'm I'm um on the younger end of of being a millennial but you know you know still I'm getting I'm, I'm getting older I feel like even with the mistakes that I've made, I still am on like a pretty like boomer or, or Gen X life path. And I am always curious, like, what about. Well,
1: didn't what about, you say that you, you you divorced, but you married at a fairly young age.
2: Yeah, I was, I was, I was very young, but I, I mean, like.
1: Were you part of some kind of like religious community or is it just a personal decision?
2: No, I was crazy. Um, <laughs> it's a long, the short of it. Um, I, I, the thing is like, I, 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 so, you know, stepping aside, like falling in love and all the, you know, sort of more romantic parts of, of, of that. Um, I was so like overdosed on manosphere and then my own sort of like weird, uh, black pilled, you know, worldview that like, I was like, I need to get off the market as soon as possible. I cannot do this. It will not be good. There, there, it, it will be only pain. So, I'm going to get married as soon as I can. And I'm going to have kids and I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to settle down and I'm not going to put myself through what, I, like I, I had this, it was like this weird sort of like prepper, almost mindset of like, everyone thinks they're having fun. It's not going to be fun. I'm going underground as soon as I can. Right. Like it was just crazy people shit, but even, even like factoring that in, right. Like I have, you know, I'm, I'm I like. I got divorced. I like veered off path. I'm like back on track to be like pretty like stable and and textbook, which is like, yeah.
1: I like know. I think it is like Alex <laughs> Kashuda and Jack. Murphy. is it the Jack Murphy or Justin Murphy. Justin, Justin Murphy, Murphy. definitely yeah, Justin Jack.
0: Murphy.
1: <laughs> very yeah, very different. But uh, yeah, they're kind of they're promoting this kind of like neo like neo traditionalism. Um.
2: Yeah, and they they're they're interesting too because I well Justin uh justin less so but like alex definitely like uh you know she's seen both sides of the fence so to speak right like she uh you know she did the the, the liberal feminist thing of you know she lived in london and uh you know d- d- you know lived that millennial lifestyle and then and and then realized uh sort of later down the line like ah you know that that wasn't a good use of my time mm-hmm.
1: Looking over uh, other cultural trends, like millennial nostalgia is becoming—that's becoming huge. Going from like 90s era Nickelodeon to the hipster culture, uh, yeah, millennial nostalgia is seeing a big. Like, that's that's a big trend right now. One thing is interesting is that the hipster culture from the like the late part of the zero zeros to the early 2010s. I think that was. Like the last, the last big kind of like youth subculture, because Zoomers don't have a unified subculture. They're more, I think, there's a number of factors. Like they're more online, so there's divides between diff- different subcultures. There's not one unified one. And then also, I think the demographic shifts, where Zoomers are a majority non-white, that factor that factors
0: in too. <laughs> but with
1: you. the hipster culture, it didn't really, it didn't abruptly end but it sort of gradually faded out and got absorbed into kind of like low capital and, uh, consumerism. Were you involved with the hipster scene of the early 2010s? And did you notice that trend of it just kind of not, not abruptly ending, but sort of like gradually fading out. Cause kind of like a good example is like you see like an, I can commercials that go on YouTube. Uh, there's just like, they'll show a lot of, a lot of like, uh, diverse like different like various diverse or ambiguous looking people and it's kind of kind of corporate it's a kind of a fusion of like corporate culture, hip hop culture, and then hipster culture as well kind of fused together. And like where do you uh have you noticed that trend?
2: Um yeah so I have I have noticed that. Um I think that it's probably not true that Zoomers don't have their own subcultures. Um, I, they definitely do um and there's definitely like a version of the hipster that has existed I mean I would say like you know they, I mean like hipsters definitely still exist and you know and you see it I don't think they've gone away I think they've just they're just in a period of like not being um,
1: but yeah like what I'm saying is it's like some weird it's like some weird weird fusion of like hipster culture uh hip-hop culture And then like woke capital and kind of corporate consumerism all kind of blended together.
0: There's definitely a lot of the the general idea of blending and, and sort of like, even like something like Lil Peep, for example, or like SoundCloud rap. I mean, that's emo plus hip hop. I don't even know what I'm saying here beyond that. I do do think Gen Z has subcultures, but I think that they're often defined as, uh, as sort of hybrid collages of different things from the past more so than anything. Yeah, it does new, seem like that does seem to be like there's
1: there's this sort of like stagnation where we had these like de- generational cycles. So each decade reinvented itself with something new throughout the 20th century, and then into like the zero zeros, even the 2010s, and now it just feels like everything is just kind of kind of a blend, a blend, yeah, a blend of different uh, different things from the past. Like, a, uh, yeah, like a kind of stagnation.
2: Yeah, I mean, but that's how it—that's how it always was, right? Right, like, right.
0: It, Even like know. rock and roll is like blues and country, yeah, it is, There's always some degree of, of 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 different things influencing each other. Yeah. Uh, Robert, if you don't mind me jumping in with my own question, I feel like this this is somewhat on on topic. Um, Catherine, you tweeted something that you you watched Euphoria recently and and you liked it, right?
2: Yeah, I thought yeah. it was. I mean, it's very fun.
0: I'm um, I'm watching it now. I don't. I I just am curious how. Yeah, I'm curious for your general thoughts on Euphoria, just given your views on, on you know the, the sexual marketplace of it all, but also just aesthetically, and then in terms of this conversation on um Gen Z subculture, because I actually talked to not to name drop, but I I recently talked to Jack from the Perfume Nationalist about Euphoria, and he said that and I agree that it's it's definitely a fun show but that the kind of subculture of like uh, hypersexuality and even some of the very social types of drug use you see in the show is basically a fantasy and that 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 Gen Z is probably not social in that way like they're much more isolated oh my god
2: I was gonna say the same I I I totally agree with him I think he's I think he's 100% right here I wrote an article about this actually about how like the beauty of euphoria is not that it's a um even hammed up representation of what's really happening it's sort of it's a cathartic outlet for uh you know for for people's fantasies right like in this Mm -hmm. in the same way that these programs are always a fantasy um and it's it's a dark one because sometimes these fantasies need to be need to be dark um it's it's melodramatic it's you know people are not living their life in this way but it's it's probably like emotionally true right you
1: see this with uh these like overly theatrical tiktok videos i mean even with uh cory booker his breakdown of hearing like he's gen x but that kind of personality uh theatrical personality like really encapsulates zoomers more in these tiktok videos where they go on these like emotional rants, but it's like a theater performance. Like they lack any authenticity.
2: I think that part of that has to be a, a product of it being filmed. Um, right. I mean, yeah, there's like something that happens when you're like looking at yourself, you know, like the phenomenon, of, like podcast voice. I mean, like how many friends did you, have? I, I, I'm guessing that, well, you're, you're in your like early thirties, right? Like how many friends did you have who did like Ira Glass voice?
0: Yeah, no, I know what you're you know, saying. It's I think um, I think I think if there's any anything to chart here, I think that uh, yeah, this ties into the conversation about millennial hipsterdom. You know, Ira Glass voice, NPR. It's kind of that was that that was the kind of aesthetic of the time, a little bit to sound smart and erudite, and um, to an extent, I think just genuine and like and I, I think there was a thing. I, I'm speaking pretty broadly here, but. In with millennial hipsterdom into the 2010s, speaking as someone who was somewhat there for it, like uh, it was and even just the way social media was used at the time with Facebook, where you'd have your Facebook bio and you attempt to write genuinely about yourself. There was this big emphasis on just like kind of being yourself and expounding on things honestly and in this area that way. And uh, this is not I I don't even mean this as a value judgment. Are you talking about like neo neo sincerity? A little bit. I think that's 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 a extremely specific aesthetic version of it. But I think even just genuinely, there was this no, there, there was a kind of uh, you know, um, what's it called, Occupy Wall Street era like optimism of like we're, we are young people. This is what we believe. There was a little Obama era optimism kicking around, and I don't think Gen Z really has that right now. Or If they do, I'm not familiar with it. It's well the only caveat I'll add is uh, just to specify what I what I meant to say. I'm not saying that millennials are more genuine than Gen Z, but I think that millennials put a greater premium on appearing to be genuine than Gen Z. There there was a little bit of that, you know. Right, right.
2: Well, so the thing was, here's something that's super interesting. Like um, millennials were a a photocopy of Gen X in a way that, you know, in a way where Gen X wasn't really a, a photocopy of boomers. It, like Gen X is an evolution, not a not a copy. But millennials were a copy, and Gen Z is a copy of a copy, right? Hmm. So it's where it's really interesting is when you see how each of these groups talk about technology.
1: Oh, to kind of explain, you mean because uh, Gen X they totally rejected most of the values of the Boomers, and then with Millennials and Zoomers, they're all kind of influencing each other more. Is that what you're saying? And then Boomers rejected the, the values of uh the older generations before them
2: sure yeah i and it that but, but yeah pretty sorry i dropped my my headphones <laughs> oh, but yeah it, that's you know that's that's a that's a great way of putting it um uh, there's a, but there's also like Gen X experienced more as well, like in a, like a, like in just a very literal, like object level way. And a lot of millennials, like a millennials, like they talk about things they didn't really experience. It's like this weird thing of like nostalgia for something, for something they never had. But then Gen Z has like nostalgia of millennial nostalgia, which is based on nothing.
0: Yeah. What were you going to say about technology too?
2: Well, if you see, if you, so if you see how they talk about technology, millennials have like a lot of these like false memories of tech and it's like, they, like, they weren't really there. Like this was something that really bothered me about like net art or like Molly Soda era um, art, Molly Soda being actual marking this movement, but being an exception to what I'm about to describe where it's like, there's sort of like. Uh, they, they know the aesthetic markers of what the late 90s or early 2000s internet was like. They weren't really embedded in it in this genuine way. And you see it, it this is like a hallmark of a lot of internet culture writers too. Um, not all of them, there's, there's a bunch of great ones, disclaimer, whatever. Um, but um, so Gen Z is like, is, is the same sort of things happening, but it's like, a, it's an extra level of remove, which is so, which is so interesting. Um, and I, I wish I had an example. On oh, here. you're
1: saying nostalgia, not from personal experience, but because of spending their youth online.
2: Yeah. And it's, it, it, but it's, it's like a weird, it's a weird thing. It's like they're, they're like, it's based off of like millennial memories that are like not even really rooted in a real world experience.
1: Before we wrap up the show, uh, do you have any, any other predictions you can make about any cultural or so, social trends of the 2020s?
2: Um, so, like every 60 years, there's like a tech backlash, and since the early 2000s, there's been like a, oh, uh, you know, oh, we're really going to see a tech backlash since 2001, 2008, 2018, or when you see these big articles being written, um, and you see a, you see like little glimmers of this, like hipsters in many way, I think were a tech backlash. Uh, they're they're purposely doing things slower, more analog. But I think we're going to see a real, straightforward uh, tech backlash that's normally accessible too. That's not just a blip. That's not just a, a subculture. And it's going to be because of dating apps. Mm. Um it's going to be spurred by there. We are uh, there is no human connection, and our retreat into the digital has not has been so policed that we can't even go there.
1: Because even uh, the issue, I think the issue of like the of social isolation and technology too, having a tremendous like negative psychological impact that's become uh that used to be more a kind of uh almost like a dissident intellectual issue uh, almost a decade ago but that's totally mainstream fair now yeah yeah i do see that uh not like not full Luddite but yeah like if you go back there's Luddites and then there's like techno-optimism and techno-optimism I think during the Obama era, like that was still, that was still like peak techno optimism. You saw that with like the automobile, there was a kind of a backlash and people wanted like walkable cities. And yeah, I do see that with technology too. Uh, Not letism, but putting some brakes on it. Yeah. And uh, more of a healthier balance. Yeah. Some kind of regimented. Yeah. Regimented
0: balance. Yeah. Rather than just being sucked into technology all the time, which is kind of our condition. Robert just published this book, Vaporphonia, which, what, what would you say, Robert? It, it deals with someone kind of getting plugged into some of these online subcultures. And yeah, radical- like
1: your book, uh, Dragon Day, deals with this too. Right. But it is about, basically, it's a surreal dark comedy and then a sequel to my first book, which uh, that's a whole other story. But basically, it is about someone who really goes into detail about their psychological
0: yeah the kind of experience of
1: of being exposed to these online uh these online subcultures very psychological it's about like a and it's also about social Uh social and political trends but it sort of exists in an alternative timeline
0: quasi Quasi, uh location cell perhaps in living in the bay area gets gets radicalized that's that's what happens in April 4 now. Wouldn't you agree, Robert?
1: <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Um, but I was going to ask if you don't mind, Robert, um, this, this I'm sure this is a, is a whole nother topic. I'm just curious to hear the broad strokes uh, of what you're interested in with regard to this, Catherine. Uh, you Okay. The first time I ever came across you was on Justin Murphy's forum and you, you were talking about like occult topics. And uh, you were asking if there's people who are interested in like Uh, occult type topics and I think paranormal topics um which I believe I respond to at the time but recently you tweeted that you're kind of getting back interested in in uh in the the occult and that it kind of influences your views on the internet is do you have any uh you know uh elevator pitch type comment about that like what to what degree are you you interested in that stuff
2: yeah so um I used to I I spent like most of, um, most of my twenties as a practitioner, I no longer practice. Um, and I, when I say, get back into it, not, not saying practice, but more from an academic sort of, uh, you know, his history of, uh, or or philosophy of science and technology Mm -hmm. sort of perspective. Um, basically, you know, we struggle to understand what the internet is, um, you know, is it a, is it a place? Like, is it cyberspace? Is it, uh, is it a communication tool? Like, should we think of it in the same way as we think as like a telephone? Um, and you know, is it a hybrid of both? Um, and there's, you know, there, this is, this is a whole topic, uh, in and of itself, but I think that the internet is like the astral plane mm. and that, um, I'm really curious, uh, at looking at some like early, uh, literature on this, uh, like, uh, Kabbalistic literature, I think, would be very useful. Um, you know, like our our, our Twitter uh, accounts, like is, you know, d- d- does the does like for example, like does the username announce yourself as a user, or are we creating users that we're then putting into some sort oh, of yeah. astral realm? Oh, yeah. And questions like that, like you know, is the is the user like a sort of golem, or is it uh, is it us? Or you know, and in what in in what ways is there a relation there? Um, you know, maybe it's far-fetched or just kind of silly, but I i don't know. I was uh, listening to a talk about uh, the Sefer uh um, a, a, a while ago and um, a while ago being four days ago, but I was like, oh, hmm, this sounds like, <laughs> I feel like you can make some kind of like digital connection here. And I I'm oh, not not the first, right. But uh, yeah.
0: is- <laughs> I'm trying to think, I think Timothy Leary or someone, I don't know. I'm, I'm familiar with the concept talking about uh, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was Timothy Leary or someone else it, it's in my reading years back, but like so, to some extent, like the way if you, if you, when you try to describe the internet and what it is, is this non-physical entity where you can influence the world basically, or, you know, send out messages, send out images. Um, when you try to describe it, you, you end up describing something very similar to what would be described as like the astral plane or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the language, without even meaning to, the language is very similar. So, no, it's yeah. definitely, definitely interesting. I, um, and Robert knows this, not so much on the the whole internet connection. all I've gotten, uh, for better or worse, and, and perhaps for worse, uh, very, very interested in in some of these uh, esoteric kind of topics over the past year or so. And I, I recently wrote a lengthy Substack thing about it, which maybe I'll send you. But, um, yeah, I was just kind should. of curious, yeah. Uh, I would love to to send you that on on DM. Um, yeah, I was just curious because it's, so, it's always interesting to me when people in our sphere are like interested in like, you know, esoteric topics, the occult, whatever, so.
2: Yeah, and it's, know. It, you know, one thing I wonder is like people really struggle with like what kind of rules or like governance should be online. And it's like, are there any clues in, you know, the sort of rules or or boundaries put in place when dealing with the astral
0: realm? Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting stuff. Uh, we're at the end of the show. Uh,
1: default Friend, uh, before I wrap up, do you have any uh, projects that you'd like to, uh, any upcoming projects you'd like to plug? And if you want to plug your main, your main uh, sites, your Substack and whatnot.
2: Yeah, uh, you can find me at uh, default underscore friend on Twitter all the time. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. Um, I- please invite me to discord servers because I'm, I'm enjoying that more than uh, other places online these days. You could find me um, at uh, defaultfriend.substack.com. And in terms of projects, I've been doing like uh, weekly zoom uh, conversations uh, about different uh, films and uh, books. Uh, right now we're doing All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace uh, by Adam Curtis. It's a three week, uh, you know, installment. It's, it's uh, $5 a month to join. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun.
1: Uh, default friend, uh, great show. Thanks for being on. And, uh, I should, yeah, I should come on your podcast soon to discuss uh, my new book.
2: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. why, why not? It sounded interesting. I'll, 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 read it and then let you know what I think.
1: Okay, great. Thanks again. And also thanks Matt. Sure. thing. Great to talk to both of you.
2: Bye.